Hi, everybody. Uh, heads or tails? Which do you think it is? Well, if you said heads, you'd be right. What if I did it again? Heads or tails? You said tails, you'd be right that time. You know, you know this, don't you? Uh, you don't have to be a mathematician to know this, that when you toss a coin, there's a one in two chance of getting heads or tails, the thing that you uh, said you thought it would be, the prediction that you made. But when I toss this coin twice, three times, four times, five times, and the same thing comes up over and over again, say it's heads every time, the probability of that is growing exponentially more difficult, more unlikely, isn't it? Well, you know, if I tossed this coin 50 times in a row and got heads all 50 times, did you know that the probability of doing that would be one in a million billion? That's highly improbable, isn't it? And now you know the odds. Now you know that if I tossed this coin 50 times in a row, got heads every time, the odds of that are one in a million billion. If I did that, if we just sat here now and for 50 times on a row, bit of a boring sermon, I know, but I just tossed the coin and got heads every time. If I did that 50 times in a row, what conclusion would you come to? Well, you'd come to the conclusion, I suspect, that I'd rigged it somehow, that maybe I got a coin that got two heads on it. Well, hold that thought. Now, do you know that scientists have estimated that the probability of the chance creation of a single molecule is 1 in 10 to the power of 243? That's 1 in 10 with 243 zeros after it. And that is just the chance creation of one molecule. Think of how many molecules are required to make up our universe. You know, it's just so improbable that our universe came into being by chance, as I think to be unbelievable. And there, there are many other amazing odds too. Think about gravity for a moment. You know, if in our world the forces of gravity, the thing that holds us to the floor, were different by one part in 10,000 billion billion billion, the results would be catastrophic, just that minute change. You know, if that was the case, the sun wouldn't exist, animals and human beings would be crushed, planets couldn't form. Gravity has this amazingly narrow range that enables life to exist. Here's another one. You know, our Earth, our planet that we live on, is tilted along an axis of 23.45 degrees. If it were different by the tiniest, tiniest fraction, life couldn't exist. You know, this world that we live in is utterly extraordinary. And that's before we even talk about the amazing creatures and plants that populate it. Things like the giraffes who use their own bums as pillows. The herds of African buffalo who select what direction they will travel in by democratic vote. The armadillos with their bulletproof armour. The Greenland shark which can live up to the ripe old age of 500 years old. You know, things with our climate and our world are changing. There's not much argument about that. A climate crisis is taking place. And there are compelling reasons for taking care of this amazing world, this amazing planet that we live on. These reasons include things like the legacy that we are leaving and what we're passing on to future generations, including the animal, fish, bird and plant species that we'll be passing on, those that are dying out that we won't have the opportunity to pass on because the world, the oceans and the skies are being polluted. Another big reason is that 
Those who suffer from climate change and from this climate crisis are most likely to be the very poorest people in the world. They're going to be the ones who are most affected, and we should be concerned about the needs of the poor. The climate crisis is putting millions of lives at risk as extreme weather events are on the increase, sea levels are on the rise, rains are becoming less reliable, and droughts are becoming more frequent. There's one more reason too, and in my view, this is the most important reason of all, and it all has to do with how this amazing world came into existence. See, right at the beginning of God's story in the Bible, we read something about how this world came into existence, and I really would love for you to follow along with me in, in these verses from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a God person or a church person, then please stick with us this morning because I want to challenge you a little bit with what you believe about how this world came into existence and why it's so important that we take care of it. So you can follow along, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and uh, you can follow along on, on our blog. Uh, if you've been with us a little uh, time at ABC, you may know that we often talk about a version event at this point in our uh, live stream, in our talks, because uh, version is a Bible app. And uh, you can look at all these different passages of the Bible on there and do all sorts of things with version. We're just changing slightly what we do with that, as uh, Rob explained a few moments ago. But there is a blog now on our website uh, that you can follow along to. The link has been posted in the live chat. You can go to our website, click on the What on Earth uh, news piece that there is just there, and you'll find this blog. And it has all that same information in it, so you can follow along. So this is... Uh, what uh, Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 says. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then you can go on and read the rest of the story about all the different plants and creatures and animals and how God created each and every one of them. You know, Christians believe that God created our universe and the, word, the world in which we live. And the word here, created, that's used right at the beginning of this, in the beginning God created, this word actually doesn't really do justice to what God did. This text was originally written in an ancient language, and in that ancient language, the word that we translate created meant so much more than that. It, it, it meant something to do with designing. The word that we translate created has way more nuance than that. See, this word created is a word that isn't about manufacture. Manufacture isn't the issue that's contained within this word. It's about bringing something into existence. It's, a, it's an operational word, implying organization and the assignment of roles and functions. It's less about manufacture and more about authority and sovereignty. So what we're being told here is that God was and is in charge. In the time and place that this account was written in, sometimes called the ancient Near East, the existence of chaos was a big concern. Raging seas and darkness was language that was used to represent the forces of chaos. And so what we're being told here is that God brought order to chaos. You see, these verses were not so much about the how, but the who. Less about manufacture and more about purpose. Not so much about science 
but they are about order. And so often, people get themselves into a bit of a state debating all of this. Christians sometimes get them into a state about this. Uh, People who aren't Christians, who want to kind of throw rocks at the Christian faith, get them into a state talking about this. But to do that, I think, is to miss the central point. It's about the who and the why, and a lot less about the how. So is it reasonable to believe that there was a God who is in charge of the design of all that we see and experience in our world and in our universe? Is it reasonable to believe that behind all these incredibly fine-tuned things, like gravity and the Earth's axis and all those kind of things, is it reasonable to believe that behind all of that, that enables our world to exist, lies a creator? Well, I think that it is. And I want to show you why by using three very simple steps. These three very simple steps, although they're simple, have a really posh title. They're sometimes called the Kalem cosmological argument for the existence of God. But really, they're just three simple steps. The beginnings of this thinking can be traced back centuries to Aristotle, to theologians of the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th centuries, and to a man called Muhammad al-Ghazali, born in Persia in 1055 AD. Ghazali thought deeply about the beginning of all things and studied philosophers and philosophy, and his thinking was studied and discussed by Thomas Aquinas, the great Christian theologian of the 13th century. And all of that reasoning through all of those people with Ghazali and Aquinas and all those that gone before, all of their reasoning can be summarized into these three simple steps, which are so simple that it's easy to memorize them for when you want to talk to somebody about the origins of the universe. And I think they're a logically airtight argument. Step one says this, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Step two says, the universe begins to exist. And step three is a therefore, based on those first two arguments, those first two steps. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And interestingly, anyone who wants to deny the conclusion, step three, has to regard either step one or step two as false. So let's just go through them a little bit. Step one, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. I think this is pretty straightforward. Most of us would agree, I think, and entirely reasonable. In The Sound of Music, when Captain Von Trapp and Maria reveal their love for one another, Maria says this, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. And she's merely expressing, I think, a perfectly reasonable assumption. If something comes into existence from nothing, then it becomes pretty inexplicable why anything or everything doesn't just pop into existence. I'm pretty sure you aren't too worried sitting in your seat or lying on your bed or however you're engaging with this. I'm pretty sure you aren't too worried at the moment that something is just going to pop into existence from nothing and fall on you. Think about it. Why don't bicycles, clocks, music and donuts just pop into being from nothing? How cool would it be, by the way, if donuts did that? That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? How much even bigger would my stomach be if donuts just popped into existence from nothing? But they don't, do they? Something can't come from nothing. So I hope it's reasonable to agree that whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Step two, then. The universe begins to exist. And science actually really helps us here. The relatively recent advances in scientific understanding of our universe all point to a starting point for it. 
Throughout history up to the beginning of the 20th century, human beings have assumed that the universe as a whole was unchanging. This was Albert Einstein's assumption when he first began to apply his new theory of gravity to the universe in 1917. But Einstein found that there was something terribly amiss. His equations described a universe that was either blowing up like a balloon or collapsing in on itself. Other scientists built on Einstein's work and astronomers confirmed that the universe is expanding. And because it's expanding, it means that looking back in time, it shrinks until you get to a start point where it all begins. For it to be expanding must mean if you reverse engineer that, that you get back to a start point where it all began. And the more research scientists do, and the more they try to disprove this theory, the more they discover that the only models that really work are those that point to an absolute beginning of the universe. So we discover that it's entirely reasonable to believe that the universe has a start point. So step two in our three-step argument is true. In fact, it's pretty much completely unreasonable to believe otherwise. No scientist has been able to develop a model that comes close to being reasonable without a beginning point to the universe. So let's look back to our three logical steps. If it's entirely to re uh, reasonable to believe that whatever begins to exist must have a cause, and if it's entirely reasonable to believe that the universe began to exist at some point, it follows logically that it's entirely reasonable to believe that the universe had a cause. I think a creator. In fact, to deny a cause or to deny a creator, one has to deny either of these first two steps. So someone who doesn't believe in a creator, and maybe that's you, either has to believe that something can just pop into existence or that the universe doesn't have a beginning point, despite all scientific evidence to the contrary. So I want to ask you and challenge you, actually, which takes more faith to believe if you don't believe in a creator? If you don't believe in God, then you've got to have a considerable amount of faith, I think, to find a reason for how all this came into being, to find evidence for how all this came into being. If you believe that something can come into existence from nothing or that science is wrong and that the universe didn't even have a beginning point, then that takes a lot of faith. Which is more reasonable? Now, what does all of that have to do with the climate crisis and climate change? Why are we starting our series on this with these very points? Well, if you come to the conclusion that our universe, this world, everything in it has a creator, a designer, somebody who is in charge, somebody who brought order to chaos, who created and designed for a purpose, if you believe that, and I hope we've demonstrated very briefly how it's entirely reasonable to believe that, then that means some things. It says something about the importance of our world and our planet, that someone would take the time and the energy to bring it into existence. If you take the Christian viewpoint that the creator is a God who loves his world and who loves us, then the need to take care of it becomes even more compelling. Taking care of this amazing planet should be a high priority for all of us. 
for all of those reasons I talked about at the beginning of this talk, the legacy that we're leaving by our stewardship of the planet, our concern for the very poorest people and very, for the very poorest nations of the world. And by the way, there's another book in the Old Testament part of the Bible, a book of wisdom sayings called Proverbs. And one of them says this, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So care for the poor and the needy is a key reason for taking care of our planet. But perhaps most importantly of all, particularly if you're a Christian, the reason to take care of this amazing world, it is because it is created by an amazing God. And our planet is in crisis. Not much debate about that these days, is there? But I think probably most of us, myself included, struggle with how can I make a difference? How can we make a difference? We wonder how we can really make a difference to the climate crisis in the big scheme of things. But, you know, I think we have to make a start. We have to change the things we can change. What next step could I take? What next step could you take to play our part to change our habits so they are more earthly and worldly and climately uh, helpful. How can we do that? You know, we're a partner of an organization here in Andover called Andover Vision. Uh, and Andover Vision is all about creating a better town in Andover for the people who are here. It's all about creating a more sustainable town for the future too. And on Friday the 25th of June, Andover Vision are holding a Climate Day of Action. They're encouraging people to be involved and we want to encourage everybody who's a part of our church family, everybody who engages with us, everybody who's watching this, to make a change, to be involved, to do something we really want to encourage people on that day to set that day aside to, to maybe do something different that's more climate friendly. Maybe to introduce a new habit into your life or into the life of your family that's going to be better for the planet. And um, Andover Vision have produced, and you can see it here, a really great participants pack for that day with loads of suggestions about the sorts of things we might do and the sorts of habits we might change. And we'd love for you to go and get a hold of that pack. A, a link to it and how you can download it is going to be being shared on our live chat right now. Or you can go to the Andover Vision website and get it from there. But we're going to join in with this as a church. And we want to encourage everybody who's a part of our church to join in on that day to post on social media the things that they're doing and the ways that they're changing to help their piece of the world. Chris Jules earlier said that our social media challenge for this week is going to be to post ideas that we might have, that you might have, for how we can be more friendly towards our planet, how we can take care of it, how we can tackle our piece of the world, our piece of the climate crisis. Please do post those things on there and we're going to be sharing those on social media and on our live streams in the build up to the 25th of June so that we can get loads of ideas about the sorts of things that we might do. We're doing stuff on our staff team here to make us more climate friendly. You don't have to be in Andover either. You can do this from wherever you're watching and join in from wherever you're watching. Share your ideas with us. And then as we build towards the 25th of June, share with us the sorts of changes you're making and the sorts of things that you're doing. What habit will you change? Because we all need to make changes. And by changing a few habits and behaviours, 
we can make a huge difference. And it's a lie to say we can't have an impact on our world and on our planet. You know, young people are amongst those who are going to be most affected by the climate crisis. The next generations of people growing up on our planet and our world, and those of us who are a bit older, need to be asking ourselves, what are we going to be handing over to them? But because our young people are going to be some of those most affected, and in fact, some of those who are most educated and um, most active on this subject, we've asked our young people for their views and their prayers. And through these series, we're going to be sharing them with you. And I'm going to hand over now to Josh, one of our young people here at ABC, who's going to challenge us and pray for us. And it's just an amazing little video that Josh has done, and, and I hope you find it particularly challenging and helpful. And then once we've heard from Josh, Andy and the band are going to lead us again in some songs, reminding us of how great God is and what an amazing world he's created for us to be in. So over to you, Josh. Hi, I'm Josh, and I'm one of the youth at Andover Baptist Church. In 2021, many people are calling out for our political leaders to act against global warming, and many of these people are children. They want the planet they're going to inherit to be clean and safe, not torn apart by natural disasters and unsafe chunks of land. But at the moment, nobody is making enough changes or sacrifices. This is because tackling global warming is not the easy option. Solar panels are expensive, many people prefer plastic straws, and some rated drivers dislike electric cars. But they are adults whom climate change will not affect. For me personally, it brings pain to see animals dead because of poaching, habitat loss and natural disasters caused by climate change. Many people don't understand that climate change is perhaps the biggest issue that humanity has ever faced. Let's pray that they will come to understand that. Father God, thank you for this wonderful planet that you have created, from its highest peak to its lowest valleys. We thank you for all the wonderful creatures that you have put on it, from the enormous blue whales to the tiniest insects. We ask that the people, that people worldwide will appreciate the wonders of the world and how you created it all. May your will be done. Amen.